The Hamlet Podcast, episode 119. Hello and welcome to this exploration of Shakespeare's Hamlet with me, your host, Connor Hanretty. The podcast is coming to you from all over the world this month. Last week's episode was from Tokyo, and for the rest of this month, I'll be uploading new episodes from Palm Beach in Florida. So I apologise if it feels like they're arriving a few hours later in the day than usual this week. We are in the middle of Act 4, Scene 3, and Hamlet still hasn't told Claudius where he put Polonius's body. Instead, he's been pontificating on how all of us, from kings to beggars, eventually become food for worms. Understandably frustrated at this, Claudius exclaims, Alas, alas. Now, a very sympathetic actor might try to make it seem like Claudius is concerned about Hamlet's apparent madness here, but as we'll see from what Claudius will say in next week's episode, this is highly unlikely. Hamlet himself isn't finished yet. He's got even more to say on the subject of our earthly progress via maggots. He says... A man may fish with the worm that hath eat of a king, and eat of the fish that hath fed of that worm. What he's saying is, a man may use a worm to catch a fish, and that worm may have fed on the corpse of a king, and then the fish eats the worm, and the man eats the fish that ate the king. It's almost like a deranged version of the bizarre children's song of the old woman who swallowed a fly. Presumably reaching the end of his tether, however, Claudius asks... What dost thou mean by this? And Hamlet's response is as devastating as ever. Nothing but to show you how a king may go a progress through the guts of a beggar. We've discussed in the past the difference between thou and you, informal and formal respectively. Claudius has just used thou towards Hamlet, his social inferior, but also his close relative. He's been trying to make everyone think of Hamlet as his son, after all. Hamlet's response sidesteps this and returns to you, formally but rather brilliantly mocking the king as he jokes about how even a king can wind up being chewed up by worms and then eventually passing through the guts of a beggar. A progress is the term for a formal journey made by a monarch, made to sound rather ridiculous here as the king progresses through the insides of the lowliest of his subjects. The play's images are getting ever more grisly and deathly as it goes along. We started with a ghost in full armour, an echo of the great king that was, and now we're being given images like this. Of course, we will continue to spiral as Hamlet contemplates life, and particularly death, down as far as perhaps the most famous image of the play, when Hamlet holds an actual skull in his hands. For now, mocked and undermined by Hamlet, even as he's pretending to be bonkers, Claudius gets back to business with another blunt question. Where is Polonius? Hamlet's response continues to mess with him. In heaven. Send hither to see. If your messenger find him not there, seek him in the other place yourself. But indeed, if you find him not within this month, you shall nose him as you go up the stairs into the lobby. With mock respect, Hamlet is suggesting that Polonius is now in heaven. Claudius should send a messenger to find out. I'm not sure if Hamlet is suggesting that someone should be killed for this purpose, but what's more important is what follows. If Polonius is not to be found in heaven, then Claudius should seek him in the other place yourself, which, in a roundabout way, is Hamlet's way of telling Claudius to go to hell. Rather brilliant, isn't it? And now back to the grim reality too, 
Hamlet says that if they don't manage to find Polonius's body within the next month or so, they will certainly start to smell or nose him as they go up the stairs into the lobby. The scene has been rather like a pressure cooker reaching maximum tension as Hamlet continues his almost Joker-like manic behaviour, deliberately putting Claudius on edge throughout. Now that Claudius has the information he wanted, he can dispatch his men to go find the body, which is what he's wanted all along. He sends them out. Go, seek him there. And Hamlet calls after them as they're trying to exit, with another grim joke at Polonius's expense. He will stay till you come. The body isn't going anywhere. Now that Hamlet has divulged the information, the power in the scene shifts to Claudius again. What is he going to do? We know the plan is afoot to send Hamlet away to England, but now Claudius has to talk him into it. Hamlet, this deed, for thine especial safety, which we do tender, as we dearly grieve for that which thou hast done, must send thee hence with fiery quickness. Therefore prepare thyself. The bark is ready, and the wind at help, the associates tend, and everything is bent for England. Claudius has shown himself a rather smooth speaker in his earlier addresses in the play, so this halting and rather uneven speech is quite interesting. It's as if he's stopping and starting, trying to keep Hamlet calm, with all the excuses he makes, interrupting himself as he goes along. The point is, this deed must send thee hence with fiery quickness. You've murdered Polonius, and now you have to get out of here. But he adds in several qualifiers too. It's for thine especial safety, which we do tender. I care about your well-being, Hamlet, just as, of course, I grieve for what you have done. Therefore, Hamlet must prepare himself. As we already know, the ship or bark is ready. Even the wind is favourable, or at help. And, of course, Claudius's favourite associates, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, are also standing by and ready to go. As such, everything is bent or bound or ready for England. Next up, Hamlet and Claudius share a line of verse between them that is extremely uneven and contrary to the normal rhythm that we'd expect in iambic pentameter. There are indeed ten syllables, but it doesn't sound right or rhythmical at all. Between the two of them they say, For England, for England, I, Hamlet, good. It doesn't sound right. Obviously, Shakespeare wants us to be in no doubt that this England trip is not a good idea. People will die as a result of this expedition. Indeed, that's Claudius's plan, as we'll very soon hear. Hamlet is probably being sarcastic when he ends the line saying, Good. As if he can't wait to get going on this pleasure cruise. Claudius' response is, So is it, if thou knewst our purposes. Now surely this is a barefaced lie. He's saying that if Hamlet could only know his attentions, he'd know that Claudius is doing this for Hamlet's good. Hamlet is obviously not convinced. He replies, I see a cherub that sees them. Although nowadays we think of cherubs as cute little angels, whether thanks to Disney's Fantasia or those famous Renaissance winged children, in fact the real cherubim were rather more powerful and they were responsible for overlooking human affairs. Hamlet's point is that no matter what Claudius is hiding in his heart or what his intentions are, God and his angels are watching. Now, depending on how much a production wants to acknowledge the audience, both the beggar and the angel references in Hamlet's lines in this scene could be quite powerful and amusing. 
If Hamlet wants to be funny, he could point to a particular audience member or a groundling as the beggar. And then this latest suggestion that he can see angels that are watching Claudius could be very powerful in a theatre like the Globe. Bear in mind that for all of his madness, as we've been told, there is a method in it and Hamlet is a consummate actor who's able to control and maintain the audience's attention and their sympathy. But the scene must move on, and Hamlet himself keeps it going. But come, he says, for England. Farewell, dear mother. This is another deliberate mistake or manipulation, another way to rattle Claudius. You'd think by now that he'd ignore Hamlet's traps, but he walks right into it again. As I mentioned earlier, he's eager to push the father-son dynamic, and so he makes this correction. Thy loving father, Hamlet. And yet again, Hamlet has the last word. He explains, using his own kind of sophistry drawn from various passages in the Bible. My mother. Father and mother is man and wife. Man and wife is one flesh, and so my mother. It's a little silly thing for sure, but it's another way for Hamlet to insist that Claudius absolutely is not his father and never will or could be. The difference between the two men, the two brothers indeed, is far too great for Hamlet ever to allow the usurper to call himself his father like that. And having made this point, even within the ruse of his performed madness, he exits, once again calling for England. Come, for England. And he exits. Now Claudius has a few more instructions to give to his henchmen and to Rosencrantz and Guildenstern before they follow Hamlet off, and we'll hear these, as well as a brief soliloquy that shows us his true intentions, in the next episode. Thank you, as ever, for your company, and I'll speak to you next time.